Good evening. This is probably not a good thing to do. I'm going to run the risk, though, because I have a little point I want to make. How many of you have looked up here at this cross and thought it was not quite in the center? How many of you have done that before I just said it? You did it before I said it? Okay. What do you think? Is it in the center? Which side of center is it? If it's off center. Okay, I don't know. It looks to me like it's that side of center just a little bit. There's more space on this side than that side. I want to make a point of that. I don't know. I may be wrong. I suppose probably tomorrow somebody or somebody later on tonight might get a tape measure and measure it. So we'll know. My point is this. I want you to look at your life tonight and see if it's on center. It may be a little like this cross. You never really thought about being off center until you looked at it closely. So I want you to look at your life closely tonight. How observant are you in your life? Let's all... Bow our heads and we'll have a word of prayer before we go on. My Father in heaven, you promised that where two or three are gathered together there, you would be in the midst of them. And we take you at your word this evening. And we pray, not that we doubt that you will, but because we have such a great need for you to come and be in our midst this evening. I pray, Father, that you would, with your kind, merciful hand, and yet with your all-seeing eye, you would look down into each of our hearts and help us to assess and evaluate them. Help us, Father, to sharpen our vision. To be a little more observant, maybe, of what's going on really in our hearts and in our lives. I pray, Father, that this evening there might be an honor go up to your throne that there has never been before. Just by us being together. That one more time we can observe and we can make some adjustments if we need to. Because, Father, you are worthy of, while we'll never attain to it, by our own strength and grace, perfection. That's what you're worthy of. And we can only expect to be perfected by your grace and by your blood. So, Father, we pray, help us to perfect our lives like you want us to this evening. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to tell you this evening. I didn't tell you last evening. But I'm going to tell you this evening that I am going to have an altar call when we get done. So you think about it. Not because, just simply what I want you to do is evaluate your hearts. <clears throat> I want to first give a little picture of how Jesus looks at you. Of how he looks at people who have needs in their life. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. First verse. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Okay. 
There was something about him that drew them to him. There was something about him that made them want to hear what he had to say. He says, Luke records, Then drew near unto him all the publican sinners for to hear him. Let me go on. The Pharisees said, the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Then he spake this parable unto them. And he said, There was a man, he told the story of the man who had a hundred sheep. And he went out and fed those sheep, and when he brought them back in, there was one missing. And so he took great pains to go back and find that one, just one. He had 99, but he wanted that one. And he says, when that, when that shepherd came home, he, he uh, what did he call all his friends? Yeah, he called his friends and neighbors together and he said, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Okay. He goes on and he tells another story. He tells about a woman that had, a, had gold and they lost it, that she lost her gold and she lost one piece. And she swept and garnished the house and until she found it. Then she called all her friends and neighbors again and said, Rejoice with me, for I found my, my gold. This is, this is Jesus' example to us, to what he wants to do with those who have wandered astray and those who have not quite put the cross in the center of their lives. And then we know this, this chapter also came, contains a parable or the story we call of the prodigal son. And we know the story. I'm not going to go over it very, I'm going to go over it very quickly. You know how it was this son, he had two sons. One son said, I want to go out and find my way in the world. And I want my inheritance. And the son, father talked with him, I'm sure, but eventually he gave it to him. The son went out, lost it all, blew it all away. And he realized when he was there in the pig pen that he had something at home that he didn't have in the pig pen, and he decided, you know what? I want to go home. I want to go back where I can receive what my father has to give me. So he went back, and the father killed the fatted calf, and he said, put on the ring and put the best robes on him, and and he made a big to-do over him because his son came home. And we know the story. The older son, he was a little bit jealous, and he said, I've served you all these years and you haven't done this for me. The father said, all I have is yours. But this, my son, was lost and is found. Jesus told that story because he wanted us to know, wanted lots of reasons, but one thing I like to think of, he wanted us to know what he thought of those people who found sin in their lives and they made it right. And we all know that. We know that's why he died on the cross. But this is a beautiful picture. You know, it's a real life picture where the father received his son. I want to talk about ask you to examine yourself and to be honest with yourself. To be honest with yourself means you're not trying to hide anything. You're willing to look at it and say, this is me. This is who I really am. Let me go on. I wonder how many of you would have an inner feeling of, I wonder if I'm really saved. Inside. You know, you don't ever say it outside. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But you have this inner feeling of, I wonder. I just wonder. Or if you had the assurance of salvation. You are assured of salvation. When you died, you knew. There was not a doubt in your mind. You had experienced the cleansing blood of Jesus. You've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. You've experienced a new desire come into your life. You've experienced that desire that that was there to when you, a a little of my experience, when they drove past the fairgrounds, 
I wanted to go in there and see what was in there during the fair. But I knew I shouldn't. I knew that was the world in there. But I know the experience now of saying I have no desire to see what's there. It's a change of heart. I wonder how many of you drive past the amusement parks and say, boy, that looks kind of fun. Or how many of you drive, drive past some of these churches and see them all smiling and happy and say, I wish I could be that happy. How many, I wonder how many of you down deep underneath of your shell of happiness, you're unhappy and searching for joy that you've heard others speak of and you know it's just not there. What do you mean? Oh, okay, I need to put a smile on my face. I wonder how many of you live in denial. You're just unwilling to admit whatever it may be. You know what happens with people who live in denial? They die. People who live in denial, and, and, and I've heard, you've heard the stories too probably, the man who had something inside of him, he knew it wasn't right, but he just didn't want to admit it. He just didn't want to go to the doctor. He was afraid to go to the doctor. He went to the doctor, he had cancer. If he'd have gone two months sooner, he could have lived. But he lived in denial of what was going on in there. He didn't want to face it. That man died. I wonder how many of you would raise your hand up and ask you, are you hurting inside? Really? Is there some emotional pain inflicted in your heart? Or is there some, something that you just, it hurts. Maybe, maybe your father treated you a certain way or your mother or, or maybe who knows. I know, of, I, know of, I know of a young lady right now that uh, it's, a, it's a, a story of sadness. And she's right now she's struggling with what do I do with my life? She's not here, by the way. Maybe somebody did, somebody did something to you that you couldn't control, and they did it, whatever it was. And you're feeling that pain of, why did they do that, whatever it was? Maybe you feel misunderstood. Maybe you feel rejected and unwanted. Maybe you do. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think not, but it's a possibility. I wonder how many of you have tried to the best of your ability to measure up to the expectations that have been placed on you and you just couldn't do it. And you felt like a failure. I wonder how many of you are free from the bondage of addiction. Okay? Addiction doesn't necessarily mean to drugs and all those kinds of things. It can be addicted to something that you just, it's a habit or a, uh, whatever it is that you just can't, just can't get rid of. It just keeps coming back. I wonder how many of you might be addicted to YouTube movies. Probably not, but maybe. I don't know. It's possible, you know. They have what they call YouTube junkies. And that's their, that's, they're just addicted. They just can't seem to quit going back and, and just watching those, those little videos. I wonder how many of you have a guilty conscience. I'm not accusing. I'm just asking. I want you to examine yourself. Is your cross in the middle? You have a guilty conscience about anything. You could say, I am free. I walk in light. No darkness at all. I wonder, have you ever done something secretly behind your parents' back or behind somebody's back you knew you shouldn't do, but you did it anyway? Or a secret desire you wouldn't want anybody to know that you have? Or a hidden book or magazine that you don't want anybody to find? Or a music CD hidden somewhere? I just want you to examine your life. Is there something you need to take care of? Because, you know, the only way that you'll have that joy unspeakable and that peace beyond understanding is when you get free. 
And you, you, you let the light of the truth shine in your heart and you shine out all those dark places in your life. That's the only way you're going to get free. You've gone a while and you know there's something there. And you, you know what it is. <clears throat> or those secret fantasies. Or maybe even, and I, I just cringe to say the word, maybe you've been into pornography. Or maybe even more subtle than that is just nibbled at the edges. I, I know of a young man one time, he was confessing and he, was, he admitted this. He said, you know, I knew that was wrong, so I didn't go there. But I kind of hoped, secretly hoped in my mind that if I was browsing through or looking for something, something would show up. That wasn't good. Maybe, is it possible that you like the way you look in a certain dress or a certain shirt? This makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. It's a little strain of pride. Maybe you're inwardly chafing at the restrictions, as you call them, put on you by your parents or by your church. Inwardly chafing. Just don't see the need of this. Maybe to be a little more spiritual, you're afraid of giving the Lord everything you have and saying, anything, Lord, anything. Maybe you're holding back just a little. You're just in your heart, you're not really ready to give up everything. And you know what that thing is that you're not quite willing to give up. Is there anything like that? Maybe the Lord is speaking to you and some has been speaking to you just, just very quietly. You just, this little thing niggles in the back of your mind. Hmm. Maybe that thing is, maybe I should. Just, just consider that. Are you secretly afraid of the Lord disallowing your hopes and dreams and not willing to give yourself over to him completely? I've said before, and I'm not going to share very deeply here, but I'll say this. I've said many times, anything, Lord, anything. And anything came, and it wasn't very pleasant, but it was the hand of God. It was for my good. <clears throat> We sang last night, I'm going to go back to this. We sang last night, I want to love him more. I want to love him more. And I ask you, really? I'll ask it again. Really? Okay. He's willing for that. And you can. But if there's roadblocks in your life, if there's something in your life you're not willing to deal with, you're not willing to say, it was wrong. I'm sorry. I give it up. Or maybe there's a small bit of bitterness in your heart towards something or somebody. Mostly somebody, I guess. A bitterness. You know, I have experienced before, and maybe I've said this before, I don't know, I don't remember. I've experienced before the feeling toward a brother that I said, I don't think I'm bitter. I said that. For years I said that. Until it came to the place where I said, or somebody, somebody brought this thing to me, and I had to look at it really deeply. We worked through those issues with elders. It was, it was, a, it was a situation that needed to be taken care of. We worked through this situation, and now I can stand before you with a clear conscience. I'm not bitter, but I was, and I didn't know it until I looked at that thing very deeply and admitted in my own heart, I didn't really like him. I didn't really like him. I didn't hate him, and I welcomed him, but I didn't really like him. 
I recognized a little bitterness in my heart. And I know now what it feels like to have completely cleaned that all up. Released my expectations. Admitted my problem. You know, that's kind of the way it is. Sometimes whenever we have something in our life that something's happened to us and we're involved and we may say, absolutely, I am only, I have so little to do with this thing. It's hardly even my fault. Nothing did I do wrong. He did the wrong. Okay. There's two sides to every story. Almost always there's two sides to every story. And sometimes the result out of this situation that you had this conflict with, the result out of that situation is you didn't react right. Maybe you did nothing wrong in the situation, but you didn't react right. Okay, there's a problem. And I say this to you. It's like one brother told me. He said, Brother Mar, years ago, he said, even if you're only 2% wrong and the other person 98% wrong, take 100% of the responsibility for that 2%. It'll give you freedom. Take full responsibility even for just your part. Maybe you're not truly born again and you're just a little too proud to... I can't go up there and say I'm not... I just got born again yesterday. They've expected me all these years I was born again. Maybe it's possible, I suppose, that you have taken something from somebody and it was just a little thing. And you said, ah. No sins are little. No wrongs are little. Take full responsibility for even that 2%, that little bit. If you feel a little twinge in your heart, I want you to look at your life tonight. I want you to say, is this me? Do I have this? Do I need to deal with these things? Maybe there's a small bit of resentment in your heart towards someone. Maybe your parents. Maybe your elders. Maybe your friends. Just a small bit. Just resentment. You know, that turns into something big. I consider preaching the message here that many of you have heard it, so I probably won't. That message of calling sin, sin. You know how it is. Take, take anger. We know anger is wrong. Well, let's back up to uh, resentment. Let's back up to uh, impatience. Let's back up to frustration. Where does anger start? It starts just a little thing. So when, at what point along the road do we decide what is sin? If we'll call the little thing sin... It'll be a whole lot easier for us to deal with life. It'll be, we can deal with that then. It's much easier to deal with a little sin than a big sin. Maybe you have jealousy in your heart towards your brother or your sister or, or whoever it may be. Jealousy. Maybe they did something to you that they shouldn't have done or... or Maybe they, you were in a competition some way and they did something better than you or whatever it may be. I don't know. Jealousy. That's just a small thing, but it's a sin. And it may be some of the hardest things you've ever done, really, to look at your life Look at your heart and say, it's me. It's been mentioned before, but I'll mention it again. I believe that one of the, the 
most vital, necessary attributes of a person, of a Christian person, of a Christian Christian, one of the most vital attributes is humility. If I am unwilling to admit the pride in my heart, there's a problem. There's a dark spot in your heart. But if I humble myself and say, it's me, this is what I am, this is what it is, if I can do that, then I can get free. But if I resist it, you're going to have that little dark blot in your life, in your heart that you know is not right. Let me define to you the word honesty. I got this out of the Webster's Dictionary. He says, in principle, an upright disposition, moral rectitude of heart. And I'll define that word rectitude because I didn't know what it meant either. A disposition to conform to justice and correct moral principles. A disposition to conform to justice and correct moral principles in all social transactions. Rectitude. In morality, rightness of principle or practice. Uprightness of mind. Exact conformity to truth. Rectitude. Or to the rule prescribed for moral conduct, either by divine or human laws. Rectitude of mind is a disposition to act in conformity to any known standard of right, truth, or justice. It's the heart that wants to do what is right. Rectitude. Candor. Candor. That's another word. That's a synonym for honesty or being honest. And openness of heart. Frankness. <laughs> a disposition to treat subjects with fairness. Treat your heart, everything with fairness, candor. Now, hypocrisy. Simulation, the meaning, the definition. A feigning to be what one is not. Hypocrisy. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. A feigning to be what one is not. A concealment of one's real character or motives. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. <clears throat> if we are willing to be honest, that means we're not a liar. If we're not willing to be honest, that means we are a liar. If we're not willing to really look into our heart and be honest with who we are, that means we're a liar. Liars go to hell. <clears throat> I, you know all these things. I'm not trying to scourge you. I want you to get free and get right. That's all I want. <clears throat> In the book of Amos, Amos is telling, God is telling the people, he says, I hate, I despise your feast days. I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. God hates hypocrisy. Now comes the question. Sometimes you wonder, what is conviction from God? What is condemnation? You know, we use the word conviction, and it's a good word. It's a word that, that describes what I feel when, the, when God is speaking to my heart, and I know I need to do something about it. That, that's one definition of Conviction. God is convicting me of what I need to deal with. Now, the devil does nothing more in all of his ways, nothing more than twist just a little bit, sometimes a lot, the truths of God. The devil is not the originator of anything. The devil only twists and turns a little of what God has said is truth. So, condemnation, that is what the devil uses to possibly make you feel like it's conviction. It gives you that feeling of there's something wrong. But he says in condemnation, it's a matter of it's discouragement. It's I can't do this. And so you just go down, down, down. That's what he wants you to do. 
What is the difference? How do you tell the difference? Well, I, I basically have told you this. Condemnation brings on discouragement. Conviction is that, that Holy Spirit within you telling you this needs to be taken care of. And it's not discouraging. Go take care of it. And then, to those of you who have sensitive consciences, believe that God forgave you. It's necessary. I can, you can come up here or you can go to your closet, wherever you want to go, and you can, you can repent before God. And then the devil comes and says, maybe you didn't do that right. So you feel, you go out, and then you, and you just, this thing still hangs over you. It may be that all you need to do is believe. Have faith that God did forgive you, will forgive you, has forgiven you. Condemnation is what pushes you down. And you just, just feel this heaviness, continual heaviness. Conviction can feel somewhat the same. But when you are willing to deal with it and repent of it and get your heart clear open, then you can have freedom. For many of us, we think we, what we say we are is what we think we are. I may ask you, who are you? Well, you're this kind of person. Well, how do you handle temptations? Well, I handle them this way. And for many of us, it's a very real temptation to, to explain who you are by who you think you are, but not necessarily who you are. We have, because we're either proud or we haven't, scrutinized our life deeply, we have convinced ourselves that we're not that bad. God's standard is purity. That means when I give you a, a cup of pure water, there's nothing in this cup but water. If I give you a, a, a bar of gold, and I say this is pure gold, I can cut that thing every which way you want to cut it, and it's nothing but gold there. That means that when your heart is pure, you can look at it however you want to look at it, however you want to slice it, however you want to, to uh, examine it. You find no sin, no darkness at all. Pure. God's standard is pure. God cannot change the person you are pretending to be. God can only change the person who is saying in his heart, I am this way. No pretense, just honesty. <clears throat> you may say, my prayer life is not what it should be. My spiritual level of dealing with tensions and stress are not always take no thought for the morrow. My responses are not always from a spiritually mature standpoint. My thought life isn't always lovely. My contentment isn't always without murmurings and dissatisfaction in some way. My love for others is affected by the way they treat me. My love for God is affected by my Devotion to him. I am, oh, I, and, and there's a lot of truth in that, in that the more I devote myself to him, the greater my love becomes. Let's, let's just assume tonight that, that, well, he is. That Jesus is a judge. And he's looking at your heart. And he sees everything in your heart. Everything. He sees everything. <clears throat> and you say, well, but you don't understand. These things are not my fault. I have these feelings because somebody else has done something to me. Or my family is this way, or my father is this way, or my mother is this way, and, and I can't help it. It's just the way, it's their fault. It's they're the reason why I'm 
why I don't feel why I feel grumpy sometimes. It's their problem. If you wait on others to change, you will always be in a cage. You take your responsibility for the 2% of yourself, of your wrong, and you can get free. A full responsibility. In Isaiah, he says, Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, away with it, or I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make your prayers, they will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Jesus did not give us a way to get out of dealing with our sins. He did not suddenly, when he came here, he did not say, okay, just forget everything. I'm, gonna, I'm taking care of everything. He gave us a way to deal with our sins. So, let's be honest with ourselves. If you don't think you're bitter, you probably are. Okay, I say probably. If you know there's a situation and you, and you feel like it's not resolved, but you don't think you're bitter, I challenge you to say, probably are. There's probably a little bit there that you just simply won't let go. Be honest with yourself. Pride. A very subtle enemy. It will keep you from getting free. Humble yourself. Why don't you want to admit you're wrong? Why don't you want to admit that it's my fault, it's my problem? Why don't you want to take full responsibility for your problem? Be honest with yourself. What do you crave what do you long after secretly? Be honest. Really, you know, many times the reason I or you or anybody else cannot get free of this sin that they've tried to for so many times, they've, they've repented, they've gone to the altar, they've gone to their counselor, they've gone to their pastor, they've gone to their closet, they just can't get free of it. Many times, you know why that is? Because down deep, you secretly love it. You don't want to let loose. Down deep. You know it's wrong. Say, Lord, I'm sorry about this. I really am. But down deep, you really love it. You like it down there. You like that thing. When we read the scriptures, what we read about in almost all cases, maybe all, that the men who came through great trials are the men we look up to today. I don't know if anybody was treated more unfair. There may have been. I don't know. I'm going to use Joseph for an example. Joseph was treated about as unfair as he could be treated. Now, there would be the question of maybe he shouldn't have told all those dreams to his brothers the way he did, I don't know. There would maybe be the question. That was, still didn't justify them. But other than that, I don't know of anybody that's treated more unfair than Joseph was. I mean, except for that, and that's not, even, that's not even condemned in the Scriptures that I can tell, except for that. But if that is not condemned, I can't find... Jesus is prob, or Joseph is probably the most like Jesus of anybody in the Bible. He did very little wrong that we can tell. Maybe nothing. That's what we can read. That was Joseph. And yet, in prison for how many years? For doing nothing wrong? A falsely accused? And yet, he was such a man of God. 
he had such a heart within him to walk with God that even in prison, he gave those people everything he had. He gave to his authorities. He could have probably bulked and sat in the corner like maybe some of them did, but he didn't. He put himself out there and said, I'm going to do the best that I can with everything I have right where I am. Take that for a challenge. I'll do the best that I can with everything I have right where I am. I'll do the best that I can with everything I have right where I am. Jacob wrestled with an angel one time. He wrestled, it says, all night. I, and it says something about, I didn't read it here right now, but it says something about, and he, and he wrestled, and in the morning his, his hip was out of joint or something like that. Now, I look at that and say, poor Jacob. But rather, I'd rather look at that and say, when I wrestle with God, I can expect to come out with a limp. Jacob wrestled and, and God gave him a blessing. He wouldn't let him go until he gave him a blessing. But he came out with it and the blessing was a limp. None of us want to have a limp. But at the same time, I believe, I think there's some power and truth in the fact that when I wrestle with God and I come out with a limp, it's a blessing from God. And what do I call a limp? What do you want to call a limp? Maybe it's a, a, a blow to your pride. Maybe it's a, a loss of wages. Maybe you're going to be honest. Maybe it's a loss of your job because you're honest. Maybe it's whatever it may be. Maybe it's because you might lose some friends because you were honest, because God told you to be honest, and you, and you came out with a limp because you lost your friends. <clears throat> a limp given to you by God is something that you can hold on to, something you can be... You can be thankful for. That means that maybe, young ladies, you won't be able to do your hair like you'd like to do it. You think you could be prettier if you could do your hair a little different way. You wrestle with God. God says, I want a meek, quiet, humble spirit. I don't want you to show off you. I want you to show off me. For you young men, it may be you'll buy that rusty car instead of that big pickup truck that you'd like to have. Maybe. I don't know. Is that a limp? That's hardly even a limp. But for some of you, it might be. I don't know. It might be. I remember one time a brother saying, I sat for, I don't remember how many years, in the pews here, and I wanted to preach, but my authority said, no, 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 no. You know, one thing that drew me, and I'll say this again, this is a little different thing. I maybe told you this last night. One thing that drew me to these circles, if I can say this, and I'm not saying anybody else doesn't have this, any other circles, but one thing I noticed in these circles was that they were willing to say, we limp also. Come limp with us. And when I look over the... the, the um, Well, what I see, what I see in churches that are walking with God, what I see is men and women who are not the strong and mighty, not the ones that are said, why was it not many wise, not many noble, but the weak. That's who he calls. That's who comes. Humble yourselves. Let God call you. Two natures war within my breast. The one is foul, the other blessed. The one I love, the one I hate. The one I feed, 
will dominate. There is a tendency in us to feed that one that makes us not have to humble ourselves. Brother Harold talked about the same thing up here this morning. The one I feed will strengthen. The one I starve will die. It's true. So you have a problem. You have something in your life that you know is not right, whether it be pride or whether it be whatever it may be. Or you're wrestling with this thing. You're wrestling with your tongue. Maybe you say things you shouldn't say. Maybe you talk too much. Think about it. If you feed that, it's going to keep, it's going to keep, you're going to keep doing it. If you starve it, say, I will not do that. Whatever it is, the one I feed will dominate. In Galatians chapter 5, he says, The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other. What you feed is what will overcome. That will, that will be the powerful one. The flesh or the spirit. There's a a place in your pathway. There's a place, there's a there's a a place in your life. You're going to come to a place sometime if you will continue to seek after God. You will come to a place. And you'll have to say, what am I going to do with this? You can be honest with yourself. And you can say, this is the truth. This is who I am. You can do that. And that's the way to freedom. That's the path you must take to attain to freedom and strength. But if you take the path that says, I'm not willing to deal with that. I'm not willing to humble myself. I'm not willing to submit myself. I'm just, I just can't do it. Count on being in bondage. And what's more, the temptations that the devil will throw at you will become even greater. And what's worse is you won't hardly recognize that. You, if you keep resisting and resisting and resisting, you can get a callous on your conscience. So I just, I leave, I ask you the question again. What will you do with these things that God is pricking your heart about? Do something with them. And you may say, it's their fault. It's his fault. Not my fault. You can do that. But it'll still be there you'll still have that thing to deal with. Be honest with yourself. And if the Lord is pricking your heart, He's dealing with your conscience, you know there's something there that you have to deal with, that to get freedom, to get to where you can hear the voice of God, to get to where your heart, your conscience is not hardened, but it's a tender, sensitive conscience. It may be the hardest thing you have to do to decide I'm going to submit myself. You know, I promise you, it'll be the best thing you can do. That's all I have. But I told you I'd have an altar call here this evening. Now, you don't have to come up to this altar to get free from sin. You don't have to. Everybody knows that. But we give these things because it's an opportunity for you 
as the God is speaking to your heart now to take care of those things. Because it's awful easy to, when you let those things go, we just simply get hardened to them. Look in your heart. Examine your heart. So I'm going to ask you if there's something you need to take care of. I want you to take care of it. I want you to to get right with God. Because 135 souls, I don't know how many there is exactly, of you young people. And I've said many times, you young people have a greater opportunity to impact and influence the world than I do. Because they don't expect very much out of you. They look at their own teenagers and their own young people and say, that's just who they are. But when they see a young person who's willing to be honest, who's willing to be fair, who's willing to be upright, who's willing to be willing to be taught and guided, they see a young person who's submitted. They see a young people who's polite and, and is willing to be able to, willing to uh, be helpful and kind and they're open-faced. They say there's something different. They expect it out of me. They expect me to walk rightly. They expect me to, those kinds of things, do the right things. I'm 63, 62 years old. They expect it out of me. But they don't expect it out of you. You have the opportunity to get your heart right with God and be a witness to the world like nobody else can. I believe that. Every one of you. Every one of you. You have that you have that opportunity. I'm going to give you the liberty of the opportunity to come forward. We'll sing a song and uh, if you feel that God is speaking to your heart, you come take care of it with him. We have a song.